A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the True Detective Podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to the weirdness of the long night. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the season four finale, episode six of True Detective Night Country on HBO Max. We're going to start off this podcast with our hot takes and then get right into a full scene by scene breakdown of the episode, followed by listener feedback. This is the final episode for the season, but we're going to do a season wrap-up podcast next week, so you still have time to get in your feedback. Just try to get it into us as soon as you can so we can make sure we get it in there. We want to hear about episode six thoughts, and we want to hear your thoughts on the season as a whole. Send your emails to truedetective at thelorehounds.com or head over to our webpage, and go to the contact uh, section, and there there is a form you could fill out, or you could leave us a voicemail, and we could actually drop that straight into the podcast. And we love it when people send in voicemails. So record a voicemail. Also, uh, we have a Discord server. Join us over there. The conversation has been great, a lot of fun. Folks have been kicking around theories. Uh, so link in the show notes for the server and for emails and website and all that stuff. Check us out on Patreon, too. Subscribers not only get early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts, but also special access to our customized Detectives Notebook, which David puts together. It's a crazy time. It has all the clues. It'll have all the answers, I'm sure, after this week, <laughs> both satisfying and unsatisfying. And, uh, you know, Mama always said life was like a peeled orange. That's right. (laughs) A spiral of an orange. You're going to need the orange spirals after this episode. That's right. I do have a picture of that. I'll put that up there. I I will say I am a little bit remiss uh, because of the whole change in the week and other things. I didn't get around to doing a bunch of stuff. There weren't a lot of clues in in episode five, but there have been some folks who've been sending in some photos and things like that. I need to get those in. It's been becoming a little bit of a community-driven resource, which is awesome. But I'll have it all updated for uh, this episode six drop. I was going to make another note, John, about the Patreon really quick. You know, whenever we have a big show, we always see a little ups and then we see a little down as, you know, people drift off, you know, they're, they just kind of come around for, for the show. And I was just going to suggest, you know, for like about $33, I think it is for an annual membership, you know, your subscription isn't, it's not like this is a commercial business that John and I do. This is, well, you know, we don't want to like lose, we're not losing money on it, but 
you know, your subscriptions go to creating the space for this community, uh, for the Discord, for all our recording software, all the stuff. And so if you are kind of into what we're doing and you, you know, want to think about doing an annual subscription, I would suggest that you could, you could do that. And um, that way you get ad-free podcasts all year long. All right. Salesmanship begun. Over. Let's transition to hot takes. Hot. Cold takes. Cold takes for this show. There was some fire in this episode. There That's was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was fire last episode. That's for sure. That's true. That's true. Well, what did you think of the uh, the hot and the cold of this episode? I, um, I'm kind of glad this is a six episode run. I mean, in some ways, I'm I'm always sad when a really prestige show comes to an end because it's been such a, a fun time and the community's having a great time and and it's it's uh, a lot of you know satisfaction for us to dig into episodes and 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 you know take them apart and examine them and stuff but at the same time I'm also kind of ready for the show to be over I'm a little exhausted by it mm-hmm. uh, I, I both love this show and am a little bit annoyed by it the 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 show when i watched this episode for the first time i was kind of like huh and i didn't know how to feel about it and i was kind of annoyed by a, a few things mm-hmm. but then when i did the rewatch did my rewatch rewatches we okay i can't say it when i watched them again and i was doing my outlining and scene by scene Man, the writing in this is so good. The acting is amazing. The deep, deep character work is is just phenomenal and sometimes really sublime. Yeah, I'll, I'll say when I'm watching Jodie Foster pretend to be both overjoyed and freezing cold, mm-hmm. that is like a masterclass in acting right there. Right, right. And Navarro, I, I what's what's Navarro's actor name again? Uh, Kaylee Reese. Okay, Kaylee, Kaylee Reese. Reese. I mean amazing job especially coming from a boxing career you know like she's not <laughs> she has not been an actress very long right. and and this is she did a she's really holding great job her own this. with jodie yeah. foster right i wouldn't i couldn't hold my own with jodie foster i just talk i just judge her from afar from, from the other side of a microphone <laughs> that's right that's right but yeah yeah it's it's it, it, the there's so much that i love about this show and i'm really glad that this was our kind of lead off uh, show for for the year, but at times it kind of felt like driving a stick shift when you don't have good smooth clutch work and you you sort of grind you're grinding gears from from mm-hmm. one to the other and every once in a while there's just something jarring or some something that catches that it's not seamless and and smooth and so that's where I get a little frustrated uh, by the show, um, but then yeah then you know. Just the the scenes, the way things went down with Peter and Hank, and and the you know the you know the 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 love story with Clark and Annie Kay and Annie Kay herself, and all of these things were re- really great, really very cool things. But then she, it's like so loaded up with the paranormal, and then it's not paranormal at all, right? <laughs> like we're just like, boop, nope. And so it was just it was it was the swinginess of it, right? There were yeah, there were times where like, wow, this is so paranormal, it's awesome, and then right, no, back to mundane. And I, I, it's not that either one of those is a problem; it's just the swinginess. I didn't know how to 
deal with the the fact that we're we're going from almost one extreme to another. Yeah. So, you know, when I think about it compared to Fargo, which is a tough comparison to do. Sure. And it's perhaps not a fair one, but I'm going to do it anyway because no sure, one can sure. stop me now. And, <laughs> you know, Fargo, I think, complements its fairly mundane story and mm-hmm. fairly mundane messaging with the supernatural, you know, restates the thesis right. with the supernatural. I don't think Issa Lopez did that here. I think that this was more of a you could choose to believe it was supernatural. You could choose to believe it was not. That kind of thing is I don't, I like it less. Mm-hmm. And so I remember earlier in the season, you're like, she's the new uh, Noah Hawley. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to reserve judgment on that. And I'm glad I did reserve judgment. because yes. I think she has potential to get there. I don't think this was it. I don't I don't think this this said no, to me. I don't know, think I'm going to. I, I'm not going to like see that she's working on a project and being like, I have to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I think she did a really good job, especially, you know, looking at her filmography. This is your second TV work ever. Her first right. American right. TV work, too. And that's really impressive that she was able to pull this together so well. I do think that the season I don't want to talk about the season that much, but this episode in particular suffered from length. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, was- it worked as an hour 15. Right, right. It was an hour 15 on our trailers, or I mean, our, on our screeners without um, yeah. all the fluff. Yeah. Right. And and that, I think, was just too long. It was really exhausting by the end. Like, it was. I, was. I was really ready for it to be done by the end. And you don't want me to be there as a watcher, <laughs> especially, you know. As we, Joe Average Washer. Well, right. Yeah, like, like, we're it's, going it's, to finish the episode. We're going to talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. This is part of our job. But if I'm just watching it on HBO on Sunday, I might just tune out after I know who killed Salal. <laughs> and then you pick know? it up later like yeah i'll just finish watching it later or something and yeah. then i never come back of right of course right and that's that's a problem that's a danger uh yeah. so yeah i i think that and i don't know how much of that was isa lopez's choice or if this was the network saying you get six slots do with it what you want we we don't know i don't know specifically but i i've kind of heard secondhand that episode five got a little bit uh, chopped and changed and, you know, maybe there's some different okay. uh, writing hands in there and, and um, uh, some story stuff got reworked, you know, and, and again, this would be a for conversation for the season wrap up, but yeah, I, I don't wonder if there wasn't some back and forth with HBO on the length and did stuff get compressed or stretched out. Uh, it, it, it does feel and I think that's the thing where I'm tired with this with this season is is they've packed in so many details mm-hmm. and they packed in so many plot threads and so many mini mysteries and little MacGuffin things that we have to get through. It was so dense. It was just eating a very, very dense piece of cake. And after a while, you're like, oh my God, this is so rich. It's so delicious. I love the metaphors. I love the um semiotics. I love all of these these rhyming things that are happening, these rhyming couplets with the with internally within the show, externally with season 1. It's all great. And by the end of it I'm just like, "Ooh, it's it's so rich. I can't take I almost can't take another bite." I think that the distinction I would make is make me a show that I want to rewatch, not a show that I need to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this show had a mix of both. There were sure. points where I, like episode four, I was so hot on. I was like, can't wait to rewatch this. Mm-hmm. Episode five, I was like, oh, I I have to rewatch this because it was dense. 
You right. know, and episode one was the same way. We're veering uh, into season wrap up territory. I know, here. I yeah. know, I know. But so I'll move on from that. I want to talk yeah. about what I liked about the episode because yes. I, you know, we've been a little critical here. I thought that uh, the Junior Pryor's relationship stuff really worked for me. I love him finding the tooth on the wall right before Halo <laughs> walks in. That's hilarious. There's so much um, little, so many little humorous things that happen. Right, yeah, right. So good. I think again the performances of uh, our our favorite cop team were really mm-hmm. great i thought that the scene where all of the inupiaq women band together and sort of go what's it going to be was amazing that really mm-hmm. felt like in a good way it felt like a mob move <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like it was just it was really beautiful it was like our community is stronger mm. than your institution and that right. was really really beautiful cool uh i i thought that overall the messaging of the season was good. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they got there, which is if you can't trust institutions, sometimes you got to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a dark message, but it's a, an important message. And it's mm-hmm. an important thing to highlight the way that Inupiaq and other indigenous communities are taken advantage of by institutions and how governments assist the oppression, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't do it directly, but nobody was stopping that mine without the actions of the Inupiaq women there. Right. And the mine had the benefit of the doubt when right. it came to institutional support. Right. Right. Oh, well, of course we're going to, of course the police are going to, you know, step in and, you know, protect the mine, you know, at the right. demonstration and right. stuff. So, and you, and you hear people terrified to shake up the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. So many people in this town work for the mines. We can't possibly shut it down. Mm-hmm. And that's rough. That's rough because they got a point. It's hard to replace those jobs. But like, what's the point of having jobs in an area where there's no clean drinking water? Mm-hmm. And so it's their actual ethical questions, right? They're actual right. societal ethical questions. And that's that's the best part about this show is that it raises these questions and it brings things to attention to our attention. Yep, for sure. Uh, I think I might have won a few Internet points. I think you did. Yeah, with the Blair Sedna ritual kind of thing. Um, it wasn't a hundred percent, but I was in the right, yeah. in the right zone. Yeah. So, shoot up a uh, Blair, huh? Shoot up a Blair. Shoot your, up a Blair. <laughs> like a okay. like a flare. Like, like a flare. You, like you you're successful. I don't know. Yeah. Leave it, leave it in. Leave it. All right. Leave it in. Uh, <laughs> I think, and and of course, you know, we'll we'll talk about this more in the in the season wrap up. In terms of its relationship to season one, but you know earlier on we proposed a new test called the Lopez test, and does a, and that is does a uh, show that purports to be part of a franchise, does it actually fit within the parameters of the franchise? And I think that this season has passed the the Lopez test. I think it it fits hmm. for what a true detective show is supposed to be, even though we've only got three seasons and they were all done by one director um, who kind of left it in a weird state. But I think Lopez has put something together that I am very comfortable calling it part of the true detective camp. Yeah. Well, so. I, I, I don't know why I'm saying, yeah, I've never seen the other stuff, but right. Exactly. seems like from what you've told me, it's very true detective. Yeah. And we can debate that more on, on uh, the season wrap up. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that's about all I have to say, uh, for the episode until we get into the scene by scene and we got yeah, a ton of feedback. We, so 
Yeah, let's 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 get into that scene by scene because we don't want to we don't want to keep the people waiting. <laughs> Not too much. All right, as always, a few combined scenes here, so it might be a little bit out of order, but mostly in order. We open with Danvers and Navarro digging a hole to gain access to the ice caves on December 31st, the 14th day of night. Navarro hears something and follows a side branch, which leads to them falling through to another level and ultimately discovering the secret underground laboratory. I like to say it like Dexter's laboratory. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I don't think I've seen Dexter. I don't know if I know that. I just know lots oh, of secret. That was a great cartoon of my childhood. Right. Didi, get out of my laboratory. He was an American child with a German accent. Nobody Love knows it. why. Yeah, Nobody knows just why. Just because. Mad scientists, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I was going to mention one thing too, John, uh, as we're just getting started about the season fa- uh, wrap up. We, we've mentioned this several times, but send in your feedback. We want a lot of things to talk about. And you know, John, I was wondering, maybe if I called somebody a monster, that would help uh, with the volume of, of <laughs> Who's the uh, monster feedback? this time? Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. Navarro? Is Navarro the monster? No. Was Clark the monster? No. Clark's the Peter. monster. Peter's the monster. Peter's no, the monster. No, I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's going to get you the take. Okay. Yeah, sure. sure. Peter's <laughs> the monster. That's the hot one, right? Sure. All right. All right. So back to the... Back to the matter at hand. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, I, I didn't pick it up until the second watch and, you know, going through it all. But Navarro is wearing a white jacket and Danvers is wearing a... Oh, wait, we say Navarro is wearing a black jacket <laughs> and Danvers is wearing a white jacket. I thought, okay, well, that's very, uh, you know, very interesting thing here that she's saying with the costuming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, there's a lot of hole digging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this whole episode. Not yeah, just here. Exactly. Does everyone just own an ice pick in Alaska? Yeah. Do you just mm-hmm, have yeah. to? You know, you 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 roll across the border and there's a little station there. And if you don't have one, you can just pop in, grab one. <laughs> you know, they're funded by the state, all those petrodollars, you know, they've got to go to something. Mm. Yeah. Very, very useful tool <laughs> very nice. in the Arctic. So very nice. I also thought it was convenient that all those caves down there were very human sized. Well, they were, you know, nice they, flat floors and nice sort of <laughs> rounded, you know, yeah, just well, scoop we a little did bit here throughout the season. Like, oh, yeah, we used to hang out in the ice caves. We used to go exploring. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then, you, you, of course, we had the warning, the ominous warning from uh, what, what was the name of the, the guy that she had in custody who died? Heist. A, yeah. Heist. He's like, yeah, you can't go over there. You're going to fall through. And uh, <laughs> yeah, of through. course, yeah, yeah. Schrodinger's ice fall. (laughs) It was, it was, this was, you know, I don't, if, if the show is, is working on a lot of levels and then you've got some thin plot devices, like the thin floors of this ice cave, Mm -hmm. it's fine. It's okay. We got to move our characters into certain positions and get them, you know, it's fine, but it it was a little like convenient in in some regards. Well, yeah. And if you're going with the supernatural stuff too, like perhaps, Sedna or the spirit that they're not going to name in the show. I was, I almost thought they were going to name Sedna at, at a certain point. Yeah, they I'm surprised just, they didn't. They, they stopped short of it. Maybe yep. they were like, let's leave it a little bit more open to interpretation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, and then uh, for, for sleuths like us, and, uh, you know, we can go digging and find that kind of stuff. And then we feel special because we figured it out. Right, right. So, um, anyway, my, my point was if you're going to go with that, perhaps. Sedna was calling Navarro to the spot so that they would fall through and find the secret area, right? Oh, sure. Because yeah, yeah, if yeah. they yeah. don't fall through, they never find the lab. 
Right. They just wander around for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it certainly, I mean, that's a big push of the show is, is Navarro becoming, you know, uh, uh, finding that inner peace and, and opening the hatch lid, so to speak, and, and connecting with her, her, um, her intuitive self, uh, her connected to the spirit world self. So yeah, absolutely. That's all part of that. Mm-hmm. Did the, uh, did the Clark jump scare work on you? I mean, you're an old hand with jump scares. No, so. no, not <laughs> even a little bit. So. I was like, not okay, Clark's bit. here. You knew it was coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, he oh, was, they're he, about to turn. We weren't going to not have Clark in here. Yeah, exactly. He had to be in this episode. I did like the fact that the skeleton on the ceiling was itself a spiral. I was over the spirals by the end of this. I was like, <laughs> you've, you've done it too much, especially when it didn't really mean that much in the end. Yeah, agreed. I, I thought it was overused for how little it meant at the end. I did think that Issa Lopez was kind of uh, effing with the um, the season one bros a little bit. I, I think she kind of knew that they'd be coming for her. So she's like, oh, here's some oranges. Here's some spirals. Here's some tuttles. Like <laughs> just shoving them at shoving these those things at them to uh, to get them all riled up. And and she seems she's out there on the internet and battling with people and and answering people's Instagram comments and things like that. So right, I you know I'm I'm glad that she is uh, throwing punches back as hard as you know people are trying to throw them at her. So good for her. Yeah, know, I think especially defending against unfair criticism is, is totally totally fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the opening credits. I see you have some thoughts here. Yeah, just that all of the scenes that we see are all little Easter eggs, but I don't think that any of the things that are in the opening credits are solvable. Mm-hmm. I think as you watch each episode, you you can read in a little bit more. You go, oh, that's the orange pill. That's the van that's outside of Wheeler's place. That's the, you know, this, that's mm-hmm. the that it's it's they're just all little easter eggs they're all little fan servicey fun things so as you're watching the the opening credits there's right. no way you can solve the mystery but it's um it just gives you some nice context right. and and then you know if you start paying attention ahead then when you see something from the opening credits in the show you're like okay cool right like you get to be a, leo dicaprio pointing exactly at the there you go exactly little moose bush stuff so danvers discovers the murder weapon and then they discover the ladder to the lab where twist and shout seems to be playing again. <laughs> I don't know why it was playing again. The, yeah. The, it, go didn't, ahead. it didn't really amount to anything at the end, did it? No. And we never got a full explanation. I don't think. No, don't of, think of, of her son's death. You mean? Yeah. We, I don't think we know why that song. We just know that that song is around, but we don't have a direct connection. It's not like, it was playing on the radio when she went to go to the accident scene and pull the life. Well, wasn't there out. like kind of an effect of like, you know, ears ringing kind of thing then? Like I, I would buy that. That's what was happening there, but we just didn't hear it, but they should have just left it in. If that was the case, there was just no explicit connectivity. Yeah. So you got to Sure. You got to give me a little more. I can't head cannon at all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I did enjoy how pissed she was at the song and how she's mm-hmm. just ripping everything out. <laughs> trying <Very> to. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. So I'm also surprised that uh, back in the world of the, of the real, I'm also surprised that forensics could never figure out the type of object that made that star shaped wound. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, the true, true 
crime uh, podcast people can write in and let us know. But there's like vast databases of 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 forensics that can tell you these things. And so I don't think that that drill bit was necessarily exotic. That that's something that somebody would have a specific use for, but that's not yeah. something, yeah. you know, out, out of the ordinary. Right. That um, that would come in a toolbox. Yeah, if like you're drilling head. ice yeah. cores and uh, making, yeah. you know, robotic arms and things like that. Yeah, it looked yeah. to me like uh something that you would have in a woodworking shop, you know, somebody who's a carpenter kind of thing. Yeah. So, Interesting. anyway, but yeah, she froze to death, though. Right? Who no, did? No, no. I guess she didn't. They never said she froze to death. But no, I'm just no. joking around. Now they're like, it was just a freak weather weather accident. It's crazy. <laughs> so slab avalanches are a real thing. Sure. That that it's not, and it's not an avalanche like you think of off of a cl- cliff. It's like oh, um, you can have like almost a horizontal style avalanche. Yeah, but Christopher Eccleston knew that that was horse shit in this case. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Of course. He just didn't want to make any big thing about it. I wonder if if the mind shutting down hurts his chance for governor in the end. Mm, Yeah, it depends on how ugly it all gets. Yeah. Um, The one thing I kind of missed in this scene, too, was Clark did make a creepy shrine to Annie there where uh, where she was murdered, but we never really get to see it. And we, we, we see a lot of the, the lab and the robotics and the ice cores, mm-hmm. but we don't get to see the creepy stuff that Clark did as, you know, out of mm-hmm. his guilt for playing a hand in the murder. And I was kind of disappointed by that because we had that great trailer scene, you know, that that. Um, where he had that sort of mummy of her, that sort of doll-like of her. Like, why didn't we get more of that down there? That would have added some more creep factor, I think. I think this episode yeah. could have used a little bit more creep factor for me. Yeah, there. I think in general, the episode had a lot of pacing issues where it felt like we were getting somewhere. And then, all right, we're going to have 20 minutes now of Navarro and Jodie Foster being cold. Right. <laughs> and like... Okay, we had some conversations about Holden and whatnot, but like, I think you could have cut it down by at least half. Honestly, it was and it was too much. Back at my the top of the hot takes, you know what I was saying was when I was watching scene by scene and very carefully, so I could write the synopsis and take my notes and look up stuff. Each scene itself is fine and it's really good. It's just that when you put them all together, there's something weird happens in in this big extra long episode where i would say each scene is fine except for danvers deposition which i thought was utter horse shit okay well we'll talk about when we get there well yeah we'll get there but i get there i was not happy with that i thought that that was a step down for the whole show's writing okay there's a reason for it and and i'll i'll we'll talk about when we get there okay yeah all right so so danvers is trapped by clark in the walk-in cooler uh, walk-in freezer, I would say. It was even yes. worse than <laughs> cooler. a cooler. Uh, Clark knocks out Navarro with the fire extinguisher, which only pisses Navarro off. <laughs> Danverter exposits some info about how they are now stuck at the station, and they tie up Clark. There was one part here where it, it kind of didn't really amount to anything, which was the wet footprints. She was following the wet footprints mm-hmm. like she followed Julia in the in the mining dredge. Yeah. But then she didn't open the thing and find him or something. It just they didn't go anywhere. It didn't she didn't get an advantage on her, you know, 
dexterity saving roll or anything like that. It was just, <laughs> you know, she saw some freaky footprints. Were they Clark's? Were they somebody else's? We don't know if they were real or not, but right. it didn't, didn't mean anything in the end. She still got conked on the back of the head by the, you know, with the yeah. Well, I, I, in my head, Clark just lapped her, right? Mm. Oh, well, she's interesting. Kind of slowly. Okay. He did a circle because he knows this place. That's the whole point of this, right? Is that he just okay. knows Cat this facility right. up and down. He's been trapped here okay. for two weeks and he's lived here for years. He yeah, like knows how years. he can do a loop. Interesting. Whereas okay. Navarro has to be very careful about where she goes. And Danvers doesn't know that this walk in freezer locks from the outside. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which, why does it lock from the outside? That makes zero sense to me. No, you always have a, yeah. Well, as we learned from the bear. <laughs> when Carmi, oops, yeah. well, we, I won't say any more. But anyway, there's a walk-in cooler problem in, yeah. the, in yeah. season two of The Bear. Uh, yeah, but there's always a way to get out of those things, for sure. Right. So, right. And interesting, in episode one, they teased that, the fact that the access card is hanging on a lanyard there outside the, the, the little mm-hmm. door control pad. So they, you know, again, really great little things like that that are layered in the show that Issa Lopez sets up for us. And then they pay off later. Yep. You know, so there's a lot of great scene episode to episode construction detail. Like I really love the fact that she paid attention and she made sure that we saw the lanyard, but you know, it, 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 then it played itself out in the fight in one of the final scenes. So that was good. I did like, I did think it was kind of funny that we go from, Navarro being drugged on the floor and that great camera perspective of, you know, looking down in her face as she's yeah, being that was drugged cool. to the next thing we know is you know, Danvers comes running in and has to pull her off because she's the, <laughs> the crap out of Clark. It was really yeah. funny. It was very on brand for Navarro. It's like, yep, oh, Navarro has his ass down. <laughs> it's it's one of those. Navarro is the kind of person was who's who will go. You can take a shot, but you better not miss. Exactly. You do and not miss. With he, her. I guess he, he didn't missed. miss, but he didn't hit hard enough. That's for he's sure. not a fighter. Right. Yeah. She woke up and then that was it. It was all over. Which he, like he got the spires on her. I now I always think about the whole thing of like if you're actually unconscious for more than like a second or two, you mm-hmm. have pretty bad brain damage. Like that doesn't actually happen the way that it happens in movies and TV. Mm. But. Uh, I'm willing to forgive it because it makes for more fun scenes. Right. You know, That's she's just, everybody does that at this point. <laughs> she's, she's tough and she's got a high pain tolerance. So yeah, I think, you know, when it's life or death and she's, you know, I think yeah. I give it to her. So, right. We quickly jump scenes to Peter cleaning up at Danvers house where Leah surprises Peter who tries to cover up the truth. He gets her out of the house by making up an excuse that he doesn't want Kayla and Darwin to be alone. Peter and Kayla talk and share a smooch. The uh, the two thing you already mentioned that that was <laughs> it was really a good funny. gag. It, it was, was a good gag. And he's, he's trying like, to be oh, all I'm, cool and I'm hanging done. Out. I took a shower already. Oh, there's a tooth in the wall. <laughs> and then Leah walks in. Imagine if Leah had walked in, you know, half an hour sooner, where he's on the floor ha- naked, you know, in his in his yeah. skivvies, mopping up that blood. In his tidy whities. Exactly. I guess we could just call him Pryor now, right? No need yeah, to exactly. differentiate anymore. Pryor younger. <laughs> and, and then I like she asks him. Leah asks him, uh, "Your car's out. Your car's in the garage? No, it's out front." <laughs> he's like, "No, we're not going to the garage. Do not yeah. go to yeah. out front. We're not doing that." Very yep. funny. Yep. Yeah, and I, 
I did like the way that they resolved the Kayla plot line because yeah, I think it so. felt very real, right? Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't want her marriage to fall apart. She just wants her husband back. And the minute he shows himself to have a little bit of vulnerability, she's like, there's my guy. Mm-hmm. She kind of, even though he's hiding something from her factually, he's being realer with her than he's been in probably months. And she recognizes the authenticity. Yeah, she was she like, this recognizes is a that. crisis. Mm-hmm. And he's he's not bullshitting me. He's actually telling me the truth, even though I don't know that he can't tell me the details. I wonder if he ever tells her, but I think either way, she figures out that he probably was involved with his dad's disappearance. Well, and then that goes back into Peter himself having the wisdom of knowing when to stop asking questions. And, right. And right. can Kayla live with the fact that she knows that she shouldn't ask those questions. Yeah. I don't get the sense that she particularly liked Hank. No. But (laughs) it's not fun to be married to a murderer either. No, but... And again, I know we can debate the word murderer there. Mm. Is he a monster? He's a monster. Yeah. But, but, (laughs) you know, a killer... Somebody killing your own father, that's rough. It is rough. That's rough. tough. Yeah, and we'll talk about the rose scene later. That's a, a really good scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then and then with Kayla and with this is a very true detective-y thing too. The the price you pay for being a guardian, the price you pay for being on the threshold of, you know, um keeping the other bad men out. Uh you have to be a little bit of a bad man yourself. And and mm-hmm. Peter does say he was uh, an animal raised by animals to be an animal, right? That yep. that you know he he was a, a flawed person, and I think there's even I need to go back. I think I heard some discussion about the fact that when Hank um, pointed his gun, started to point his gun at Danvers, his finger was mm-hmm. not on the trigger; it was outside, and so it basically it was suicide. He committed yeah, it was suicide. suicide by cop. Yeah, or I didn't pick up on son. that detail. That's yeah. that's really intense. I mean, and, he's at the point where if his supposed love is gone, like is going to ghost him now. He so he's right, got nobody yeah. around him. His son won't talk to him. He's just murdered someone in front of his son, so he's yeah. probably going to go in front to of prison. two police officers. Right, <laughs> uh, he's probably going to prison. He's got no money left. Yeah, and no, he's like, definitely not getting paid or getting a promotion now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say he kind of was just like at the end of his rope and he's like, I'm done. Yeah. Well, yeah. He needs to pick his last breakfast. <laughs> he should have done that. He should have listened to our podcast on That's Second right. Breakfast. Um, This thing, though, with Peter, he, this is this is this point where he has to. He he's not the same person he was at the beginning of this. By doing that thing and going and throwing in with with uh, Danvers and Navarro, you know, cleaning up the the murder and then to to look Kayla in the eye. He mm-hmm. has to sort of cross that threshold of being the man child to being. I don't want to say it's it's not a rite of passage into manhood or something like that, but it's. He had to change who he is in the world mm-hmm. now. He's he he is somebody who has taken life and he is somebody who has covered up crime. Yeah. And and he's that you have he has to change, you know, 
when when that happens, when, when you make those choices, that changes you forever. I was honestly surprised that he still worked for Danvers at the end of this. Uh, yeah, right. Months later. Right. I was really surprised because I thought that this was the way he was talking to Kayla. Mm. It sounded like I'm going to quit this stuff right after I finish this. Mm. And I wouldn't have blamed him. Although it's oh. harder to it's harder to cover your tracks if you're not a cop. Right. Uh, yeah, you can't, you know, yeah, steer the investigations and stuff. Can't flood the evidence room. Like, exactly. Carol, like uh, I keep saying Carol Danvers. It's the it's the last <laughs> episode, and I'm still saying Carol Danvers. Yes, like Liz Danvers. Yeah, that you know, and hopefully nothing like this will happen again. <laughs> this will just be yeah. Stacy Chalmers and some you know some drunks and some other stuff, and this yep. will be the biggest case that they have ever worked. I will say though, for these young actors. They did such a good job. That scene was so real and so, yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't know if those two are ever going to have another opportunity like this. This was a, this was a lightning in a bottle, once in a lifetime sort of prestige, high stakes drama, you know, for HBO, for Issa Lopez, for the, the true detective property, the story itself, the characters themselves. This is an amazing opportunity for these young actors. And I'm just so happy that they all knocked it out of the park, that that every one of them did a phenomenal job. It was really a, a, an amazing set of performances by these by these actors. Yeah, yeah. So. I think especially Peter really impressed me. And and part of it is just we saw the most of him compared to yeah. the others. Yeah. But I think he's got a really bright career ahead of him. So shall we move on to Danvers and Navarro questioning Clark and torturing him by making him listen to Annie's screams on loop? They take a coffee break and have some Funyuns. <laughs> Are you a Funyun so, fan, David? No, not really. If they're Definitely. around and there's nothing else, like, sure. Sure, exactly. I I would never seek out a Funyun. Not intentionally, no. Not intentionally, no. no. I'll eat some Fritos. I'll, I'll eat some Cheetos. Uh, definitely mm -hmm. some Doritos. Hey, what is the, the Fritos, Cheetos, Doritos? What's going on there? They love them. Well, Frito-Lay um, makes all of them, don't they? Uh, they must do. They must do. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Right I, was gonna, <laughs> I was going to say this uh, torture session really reminded me the of the the Dizon Frey screams from Andor. You know, the, Ooh. the, the Yeah. Yeah, with Bix. Yeah. Yeah. That was rough. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't think about that. And then when we learn what actually happened in the flashback, that then when you then think about Clark listening to those screams you know, that, that rings differently as, as opposed to him not having been there mm -hmm. and then just thinking, Oh, you know, she, no, he was there. He saw it. He participated in it. So that's even worse for him. That's even more of a rough, uh, uh, rough situation. Man, but this guy is so in denial too. Like, he's oh my like, gosh, yeah, I would never hurt up. her. Dude, you smothered her. <laughs> like, I know you think it was a mercy kill after they beat the shit out of her well stabbed her 32 times with yeah the but yeah. like no you still hurt her yeah yeah what is wrong with you you took her life i am uh i am not a fan of leaving a prisoner alone and unobserved in that kind of situation i was really nervous that he was going to get away or something you know well he so. did eventually anyway 
Well, she let him go, right? Did she? Yeah. That's not what I understood. I I thought she just. Oh, I, interesting. I don't know. Okay, headcanon, right in. I, I I thought. Well, we'll talk. Let's talk about it when we get there. Let's talk about okay. it when we get there. So. All right. Fair enough. Um, the, the orange thing bugged me so much. <laughs> like I literally thought, like, okay, we're in the Forrest Gump mode now. Mama yeah. always said life was like a spiral orange. <laughs> it's like, think, what was that? I, I think Lopez is was just just fucking with the film community. <laughs> just like, oh, you want oranges? Okay, I'll give you oranges. <laughs> and oranges are relevant to the story, you know, vitamin D, mineral, you know, all that kind of stuff. Arctic, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I, think, I think she she loaded it up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just not having it. Not <laughs> like, like there sure. were most of the dialogue on this episode and in the whole season was really, really good. There's a few moments where I'm like, this is scripted, right? This is scripted. And, you know, and for the show to hit as well as it does most of the time, amazing accomplishment because a lot of shows never hit this well. Right. But boy, they, they might some... get one or two lines out of the uh, a right. season where this is like scene after scene. Right. Yeah. No, the dialogue is, is overall really amazing in this season. It's just this whole thing of like, I'm going to now tell a story about my childhood with oranges. And she just tried to peel them. And I was like, all right, move on, move on. Right. And then, um, yeah, we had, we get an orange peel in the opening credit sequence. And of course, yeah, Liz later. So. How did this scene make it through editing? That's that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's a pile of oranges in the refrigerator as well. It's, it's yeah. one of many. Yeah. So anyway. They question Clark, of course, and they learn that Salal was pushing the mine to make more pollution, which was softening the permafrost. This made the organism they were drilling for easy to extract. Annie K snuck in, destroyed the equipment and samples, and was attacked by Lund and then the rest of the group. Then Clark, uh, Clark had to become a monster. A monster. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Annie fighting for the lives of her community, killed by science and her murder covered up by the mine and the authorities. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's so, rough. It's rough. That, and we, you didn't put it in here, but Clark finished the job, right? Like that's that yeah, was the yeah. whole thing is he's like, I would never hurt her. Dude, you smothered her. I like the way that Lopez used the flashbacks continually through the season. So by the time that we get this flashback, we are conversant in the language of flashback in the show as she's using them in the show. So that when we see the truth of the flashback and we hear the lie of the person in the present, we understand exactly what's going on here. So she did a really good job of training us in how she was going to use those. Yeah. And so when we get that final scene with Clark and Annie Kay, it is just chilling. And it's it really a, a lot of tension, a lot of dramatic tension in that scene. And you're just like, oh, no wonder dude is so messed up because it wasn't that his love was murdered. It was he was complicit. You know, he participated as much as anybody else did in it to the point where yeah, like it, it was he he was like you you destroyed the equipment, you're dying, you just need to die now. Like that's just like it's a, such a messed up situation. It's that meme with the guy shooting and he was like who would do such a thing? Mm. He's like <laughs> shooting the person on the couch. It's like why would the other Salal members do that? Right. Uh yeah, it's pretty bad. 
it's pretty yeah. bad. I do really like the intersection of the Salal stuff with the mind because it kind of presents a little bit of a trolley problem. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good Should Annie K die that. to preserve this experiment yeah. that will potentially save millions of lives? Should this the people of this impoverished community suffer water conditions, stillbirths? How many babies need to die to justify your experiment? Right. Like there's right. reasons we have ethics in science and there's reasons that we go slower than we want to because it's the right thing to do. Well, look, we've been down that road before. We have done the unethical science experiments and they, right. by and large, don't have that much positive upside, <laughs> right? There right. may be some right. incremental advances, but I don't think, I mean, right in, correct us if it was wrong, I don't think that there are any of those uh, horribly unethical situations, largely, that have revolutionized science in in some mm-hmm. way in, in in revolutionized our 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 health and well-being in some way that 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 cost was ever worth the price that that was paid uh, now i'm gonna i'm gonna bring in another thought here and i don't want to spoil it entirely but think about this we have the opposite of the last of us ending here <laughs> okay right all right we wait, have wait, somebody choosing to it. kill the girl to save uh-huh. the world uh-huh very and good. we are very against that here. Yeah. And yet, a certain podcaster I know <laughs> mm, gave Monster. a certain gave a certain character a lot of flack for saving the girl. I got a lot of flack. <laughs> I got plenty. I'm just saying you can't win in this situation. No, no, you can't. You can't win. And both and, sides are monstrous, right? Yeah, yeah. And but again, I, I'm, I'm hold on there. Yeah, I yeah, got, yeah. again, I got one more thought. You can't. There is a difference here because in The Last of Us, society is completely crumbled and there is this mm-hmm. thing that you one could probably cure singular one yeah. singular threat that you could probably eliminate to help society be restored. OK, that's a stronger case for sacrificing the one to save the many. This is like. Okay, we're living pretty well in the world. Like, where our life expectancy is going up. We just want it to be better. Mm. And to do that, we're going to make everybody's lives around here horrible and kill somebody. And I'm going to take your argument and one step a little bit further. This corporation that's being secretive and unethical, what's the likelihood that they're going to give this discovery to the people of the earth for free? Mm. It's going to go make the way their of science. Right? <laughs> hmm? It's gonna go the way of insulin, right? Oh, what is that? How did that work out? Did that not? Um, I don't know exactly how it turned out, but it was like when making insulin via bacteria was created. I believe that that became a whole thing of like let's okay. make a shitload of money out of this, right? Okay, like the guy who Frederick G. Banting and Charles Best and J. R. McLeod at the University of Toronto. Yes, and so the whole story is they sold the patent to a university for a dollar and it ended up being like i'm pretty sure sold again and again until corporations had it and they are able to jack up the prices insanely right 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 yeah you know i was thinking penicillin not not insulin yes that's right okay yeah no insulin insulin because you used to have to get it from like pigs i think they harvested it from okay because it was the closest thing to human insulin Mm -hmm. and then they realized you can program you can genetically alter bacteria to produce it. And that's how we get it. Okay. 
which I always thought was interesting, but interesting. It's rough. Like, I mean, I have family members who are diabetics and uh, the amount that they spend on this is insane. And so you're right. I, that's a serious concern too, right? Is right. Who ends up with this cure and who gets it? And the, what they told us is that it is this, this Tuttle organization that's involved in all kinds of multinational sh- shenanigans. And if they're secretly, you know, and if they're willing to go to this level, what level are they going to go to to control the discoveries once they have it? And will it be available? So, yeah, the 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 moral equation here, you know, did Annie do the right thing? Did she do the right thing in the wrong way? You know, did she, I mean, that was not an effective way of stopping the mine, you know? Well, I think, I don't think she meant to get caught there, right? I think the the whole thing is she wanted to get the secret info and then go bring that to somebody who could do something about it. But she wouldn't go and she wouldn't trashed all the stuff. Oh, and, right, right, right. You know, she, yeah. she sort yeah. of. Should should have not done that first. Should should have maybe told someone else first. Right. That's what I'm 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 not wondering is is if yeah. she had you know uh, gotten that information out. But the, even then, as we were saying before at the top of the podcast, the institutions are going to give the mine and the and Salal the benefit of the doubt over a uh, uh, an, an Inupiaq woman who is a known activist and you know. Uh, uh, somebody who's an agitator and causing problems, right? Mm-hmm. She, she's not going to have the kind of juice and the power that's necessary to to actually take this some way, you know. Even if she, you know, has all of the research notes and photographs and everything, how how is that actually going to be effectively turned against the mine and the and right. the and the and the and the, re- and the uh, Salal research station, right? So. So she was mad, right? She's pissed. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Yeah. I, I get why she she went on a rampage in the lab. Anyway, yeah, perhaps it wasn't totally a logical decision, but it's understandable for sure. Completely. I think a murder is a good place to take a break. Why don't we do that? And when we come back, we'll talk more about I don't know murder. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. David, do you have any other thoughts on this last scene? I do, and I think it bridges nicely into the next scene, which is the fact that all of them are liars in some way, uh, all of them being Navarro, Danvers, and Clark. Clark's Mm -hmm. not telling the truth about what happened with Annie. Navarro uh, and Danvers have both lied about the Wheeler case. So I love the fact that all three of these people... Are, who are struggling to be good in some way or like I'm guilty about the murder that I committed. You know, we're, we're cops and troopers and we're supposed to be upholding the law, but we've all lied. So I love the fact that they're all tainted in some way, which goes great into the segue of um, the, the Clark or the Wheeler flashback. Yeah, so on the Wheeler flashback, as Navarro prepares to shoot Clark, we flash back to the Wheeler case and learn the truth. Navarro shot first. I yes. like your Han shot first reference. I get it. I, get I was it. wondering if you're going to pick up on that. I got it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we, we get, a, a, it was a fun, that was an interesting debate that everybody was, was having uh, over this. And I like the fact that Danvers was like, 
I, I was about to do it myself and you beat me to the draw. So <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy that. I did enjoy yeah. that. That was good. Uh, I, I'm guessing that it was Navarro reacting to the the ghost, you know, that she saw. And so she's just like, boom. Yeah. I think that's right. I think she was just like, oh, you are just accusing this guy. And yeah, I can't I can't abide this guy yeah. going to prison, mocking your death. Right. Exactly. And uh, I, I do like that Danvers didn't throw her under the bus for it. Yeah. That they actually, well, she was about to do it herself. So, yeah, they were. Right. Right. She's like, how could I possibly, you know, throw you under the bus for this now? Right. And again, I think that it's a very season one thing, again, where the detectives cross a line and they not and it's it's they're not unjustified in some ways, but then they have to obfuscate the truth to be um, to stay on the right side of the institutional legal stuff. So that's a it's a really right. nice season one um, right. uh, conundrum that they've got to solve there. Yeah, and, the justice versus law stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and terrifying that there's a baby in the house. That's that was a really that was a kicker when they had. Yeah, the yeah, that's die. rough, right? But again, yeah. like either the dad was going to be dead or in prison. It's not like he was going to be involved in that baby's life. Exactly. That was another and, another. Uh, yeah. Oof. yeah. Okay. Well, on the next scene, Danvers takes a break and cuts an orange peel. I'm sorry, what's this? My mom always said. Okay, I'm, I'm done now. Uh, cuts an orange peel into a spiral and then knocks an orange off the table and notices something weird where the tongue was found. So I don't know what to make of this scene. Uh, we we never get a definitive answer as to what the t- what was happening with the tongue. Forensics proved that it was her tongue. So how did it end up there? Why was there yeah. some little weird icy patch? Uh, I'm a, this is where my annoyance is is like okay, feed me the paranormal. I'm into it. I'm ready. And then we just have a completely loose, hanging, unanswered thing. And I'm just like. Did what was there some answer to it, and you just got edited out, or yeah, like, what great is she trying question. to say? Great question, because they the weird thing is, if they did have an answer and they edited out, why did they leave in the scene later where they ask the Anupiak women, exactly. well, what happened with the tongue? Oh, I don't know. That's not part of our story. It's like, all right, well, whose story was it then? Right. Find me the person whose story it is. Yeah, probably Issa and- Lopez. And we just don't have a, we don't have or have a, a resolution to it. And it's kind of like, and it's not even like there's a revolution that it's am, super ambiguous. It's just kind of more like a head scratcher for me anyway. I mean, right. I don't know it, if that's just me. It's a meaningless mystery, right? Yeah. And that's the problem. Is it doesn't leave like, me haunting. Like, right. Ooh, that was so spooky. Something you know? to think about. I mean, yeah. like, I guess what's implied is that like Sedna put it there. <laughs> but I, we don't have I, enough. I, that's the only on. thing I could possibly answer that with yeah so i did watch the scene over a couple of times her hand bumps that little orange the bumps the orange off so it's not it in like anything uh mm-hmm. supernatural happened but i do love the fact that she bumps her head under the table like kind of like bryce bumps his head on the lamp when he's you know the high school teacher when he's standing yeah, up yeah. from his computer and uh speaking of bryce call back to him who is saying you know, he's the one who was saying that it w- it wouldn't work. Um, 
the microorganism drilling, right? That uh, that uh, you can't do it. The DNA is going to be too right. Um, right, too messed up. And then so we have which, and I, I didn't say this before. As twists go, I, I kind of like the twist that it wasn't the mine, you know, uh, driving the research mm-hmm. station. It was the research station driving the mine. I right. thought that was kind of a, a cool thing that you know, right? These supposed good guy scientists are were actually you know they were the real bad guys in the end. So, I guess my question is: Are they causing these head injuries to her and Navarro to muddy the waters on is this supernatural or not, or are they mm. just having hallucinations? That and that's a line that I'm fine with being blurry. That was a very uh, season one um, line as well. Is Rust Cole really seeing things, or is he? J- did he just do too many drugs and his brains are, you know, his brains are, are scrambled, and so he's he's imagining these things. I, I don't mind that ambiguity. That that works for me. Okay, so, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's good. I, I just wonder why they put all the head injuries in, like Navarro getting yeah. hit, the, you know, and and then Danvers hitting her head. Although that's not something that's going to really cause you. I, I do think that there is a constant thing, though, where, you know, there there Lopez does posit that there, there is a spirit world that's trying to reach out to the living. Right. Mm-hmm. And that Danvers can't hear it. And so she's constantly being. You know, the, the knock on the door is getting louder and louder to try to reach into her. And only does she have that near death experience where she can actually yeah, know, be more in contact with it. Right. So, Holden keeps trying to reach out to her in like the space between sleep and awake and wakefulness. Yeah. And I think that's often a theme of like that's where you're the most in touch with spiritual things mm-hmm. is in that twilight between being awake and being asleep. Right. Where the rational self is not in necessarily in control. Right. Yeah. All right. They question Clark again, and we learn that time is a flat circle and we are all stuck in it. So this is a total season one callback. Time is a flat circle. Rust Cole, famous line. And so he just blurts it out here. And I was just <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, okay, we got spirals. She really loaded this episode up with season one stuff. And it was just kind of, all right, fair enough. You hey, know. remember that? Fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so, I hear you. So, yeah, I mean, other than and I guess what we really learn here is that, you know, he had the sort of psychotic break and and that he was the guy when the that was running when the supply guy came. So we're getting, you know, we're, we're checking off all the boxes. Was that uh, something crazy and spooky or was that something uh, mundane and explainable through rational real world uh, uh, occurrences? So. Right. Right. Uh, as Peter drives out to Rose's, the power is knocked out by the storm. Mm-hmm. Gnarls? Anyway, uh, Liz <laughs> goes <laughs> Liz goes to get some rest and finds a necklace of a cross in her hair and then is woken up by a dream of Holden. Clark meet, meets his final fate. What do you make of this cross in her hair? I have no idea what to make of that. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it was there. I would have assumed that that was the cross that Navarro threw out of her truck window when she had that flashback of her mother. But then is it uh, Holden? Like you, just like you were saying about in that that um, transitional space between waking and sleep, 
because she found the one-eyed polar bear once at her bedside when it really wasn't there. It was actually in a box of, you know, Christmas stuff. So was it, was that something or was it, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, it, it has no connectivity. Uh, mm -hmm. I even think we hear a little, you know, scream, like ghost scream, like the scream that her, that Navarro's mother made when she kind of looks mm -hmm. at it. But I, I don't understand what its purpose was. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe it was just, okay, well, these people had all their stuff. Uh, like she's, she's sleeping in the bunk of these people who just kind of right. left in the middle of the night. They didn't pack anything. Yeah. You know, or was it, was it a clue left over from the night that they were all abducted or something? I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. As the storm gets worse, the electricity is playing silly buggers. You know what? I wanted to say one thing about the other scene. Very mm -hmm. cool effect. Having the streetlights go out one by one. He's Very cool. Very cool. Visually cool. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So as the storm gets worse, the electricity is playing silly buggers. Navarro has a vision of Clark in the kitchen. I, I There's a couple of things here I don't get as well. When Navarro is trying to get the diesel generator, the backup generator working, did you see the figure of the girl behind her, standing behind her? I did, and I mm -hmm. don't know what that is either. I, I don't know what that it's is. Sedna. Yeah, right? That's the, I was like, is that Sedna? When in doubt, hit the Sedna button. <laughs> and then was that Clark in the past because he was having the little convulsions? Mm. But then it kind of, was it kind of the current and his spirit being set free now that he's, you know, he's out there frozen? Did Is his ghost sort of... Is there some sort of weird, like, oh, okay, I can be free now. I don't have to be trapped in this. I, I did read it as the ghost. Okay. I thought that that was Clark's ghost. And, okay. you know, it just keep we just keep talking about, or at least Navarro perceives it as Clark's ghost, right? Right, right. Because she's got this sight beyond yeah. sight kind of thing. Yeah. So. Ostensibly. Ostensibly. Or is it just a head injury? Hmm. Peter pays a visit to Rose while Liz and Evangeline try to keep warm while arguing ontology and metaphysics. <laughs> Evangeline reveals that she's communicated with Holden, which does not make Liz happy. Boy. <laughs> Boy. I mean, Jodie Foster plays an angry person very well, but she pulled out all the stops for this one. She's like, don't you ever fucking talk to me again. Like, grumble, was, grumble, grumble. Yeah, it was intense. I... I it was almost a little too much. I don't know. It was right on the line for me. If she had d done one more sort of I'll rip you in half kind of thing, I was like, I was going to be like, mm, okay. I, don't know. I, I actually thought it was good. I thought it was good because it's not just that. It's the lack of sleep. It's the lack of warmth. Sure. <laughs> it's yep. mm -hmm. the fact that they don't have Clark anymore. And it's just like all these frustrations, right? Like your case just fell apart. You have no idea who killed these people. You're trapped out of the stupid research station. Right. You yeah. literally might die because of a lack of power, which is mm -hmm. insane. And something that, you know, it happens in the mainland U.S., depending on where you live, but not as easily as it happens in a blizzard in Alaska. <laughs> where people keep leaving the doors open. Right. <laughs> like, right. Close the damn doors, people. That, that's a great point. I was like, when when we see the swing door, I'm like, really? <laughs> Really? Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to leave something open so you don't get carbon monoxide poisoning with the fire. But oh boy. Anyway. Not anyway. great. Not great. Uh take me to where you see Julia, right? 
That was yeah. uh, where where you put Julia. That was that was a good way to transition with that. Yeah, she's just like, what the hell are you doing out here? Like, what is this about? And so, and I love that Rose is always ready for an adventure. You know, Rose yeah, is the friend is. you you go you drive to her house, you honk the horn, she comes right out, she's ready to do anything. Right. She's got a six pack and a and a little, yeah. little tin of <laughs> weed and ready to go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And we don't we we again see a little bit of the the car crash, but we don't see anything further. So, um, or was that later? I'm kind of getting confused now with all these visions and flashbacks. This is where the the middle of this episode was really kind of uh, hard to you know if you're just watching it straight through. I just felt like what's going on. But then again, like I said, when I parsed it up. All of this stuff was really great, but then like all glummed together, it was just too, too much, too many visions, too many freezing to death scenes and stuff. So, yep. Yep. I hear you. I I think they could have been a little clearer about Holden's death. Like it was not clear at all who was at fault. Yeah. What happened. Uh, I, I think it was suggesting that Liz was not at fault because it seemed like she was coming out of her house to go see this. And then the whole th- there was a comment at some point of like you know did he say my name when he was trapped right. in the car or right. what have you so it's that that guilt right a, a, a parent's mm-hmm. guilt of my God you know what what could I have I done differently if if only I had I wasn't there for my child when my child needed me uh, I will never know what their last moments were like like I can't imagine the reality of that I have imagined it as a parent, <laughs> when my daughter, when our daughter was first born, I would have these horrible fantasies about just stupid things happening. Um, we call that you know, anxiety, David. Yes. <laughs> they make pills for that. Okay, good. Well, I was able to get through it, but it was not, it was not fun for those first couple of years. So yeah, yeah. I especially in New York I mean, city in think... Brooklyn, I was always worried about cars jumping the curbs and stuff yeah. like that. So I'd stand way back with my stroller. And... It's scary. It's scary to be a parent. I agree with you. I agree yeah. with you. You're always like, Oh my God, something crazy could happen. Yeah. Especially when your one year old son just starts walking out of nowhere and has no <laughs> sense climbing. of safety at all and climbing. Yeah. That's, that's the fun one. Yeah. It's like I'm just going to climb these unstable structures. That's really the answer to my problems. Mm hmm. All right, a quick scene of Leah trying to call Liz, who is slowly freezing to death in the research station. <laughs> There's a great little part of this scene where Leah turns her head, and we just just before the scene cuts, and the lighting behind Leah almost makes her have a halo around her, as if she's sort of angelic in a way. And I just love the contrast of Leah being warm and safe and she's alive. She's living, right? She is connected to herself. She's a young person seeking truth, seeking community, willing to fight for it. And so she's in the present, in alive, while we've got Danvers, who's cold and alone Mm -hmm. and in the dark and ultimately almost dies. uh, And that these two parts of this relationship of of just the way that Lopez sets up the the rhyming couplet here of warm alive and safe and cold and dead and you know alone so it was uh, it even though this scene is just like very functional in that regard it it really does hit on that deeper metaphorical level and so i one of these kinds of scenes that i really appreciate yeah I like that. Did you buy the whole, I'm calling you, please don't die, this and that? 
Yeah, I, I, I thought so. I, 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 I was, I was with it. I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. I agree too. It was, it was a big change for her, but also I think it's realistic to have teenagers have emotional highs and lows like that where they're, you know, they both are like, I hate you, but I love you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and we got some feedback later about the line that Leah said last episode about the, I haven't given up on you. Right. So right. I think Somebody that like pers- <laughs> that feedback uh, actually set me up to be receptive to to um, Leah trying to reach out to Liz in this search- situation. Fair enough. Danvers can't get any rest, so she goes back out and follows the embers from the fire to discover that Navarro is out on the ice. Navarro is having a vision. She learns her Inupiaq name, which we later learn means the return of the sun after the long darkness. Would you uh, would you make of this the scene? I was fine. It was mm-hmm. fine. I I was good with something religious happening to Navarro, and mm-hmm. I like that somebody's being called out onto the ice for a good reason instead of death. <laughs> right? There's a lot of death happening out on the ice. I think part of it is Navarro has always been shutting out these voices, shutting mm-hmm. out this possible supernatural stuff. And she's only recently really opened herself up to it. Yep. And I think Sedna's saying, like, come on, I'll show you the way. And going back to that uh, episode one scene where she's talking to Ryan and he's asking her, do you believe in God? And, you know, we get that flashback of her talking to the soldier with their head blown off. And we hear that voice that says, or I think even the soldier says, listen. So the spirit world is trying to tell her, like, listen, girl, we want to communicate through you mm-hmm. and we want to help you do the things that you do. You just need to listen to us and understand and, and learn how we're speaking. And she's not. She's got that, like, as she says later, she's got the the hatch right. door pulled shut. Right. And so the fact that, like you say, she goes out on the ice for a good purpose to learn her, her, her Nupiak name. Uh, it was great. I, I, I really, I liked the way that they intercut the scene. I liked the the hand coming out to touch her, but we don't see anything else. It, it just, it, I, I thought that this scene worked really effectively and I was, I was really glad <laughs> to see Navarro move forward, you know, to actually have a, of a, something positive like this happen for her and her storyline. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, of course, Danvers has a nightmare vision of Holden trapped in the ice, and she tries to reach him, but breaks through the ice and falls into the icy water below. She fights to survive, but she can't do it on her own. She's rescued by Navarro, action hero Navarro. (laughs) In her fever, she has a series of visions. She wakes and asks Evangeline what Holden said to her in her visions. A lot of people falling in the icy, a lot of people under the water here, dead and alive. <laughs> yeah, and and the whole thing of I you know, you of course think of Peter with his flashback to his father digging him yep. out of the ice. Well, he's yep. that was a really beautiful scene. He's like my father was digging me out of the ice, now I'm digging him into the ice. Yep. Yep. Lots of transitions, right, between these two different worlds. We have the spirit world and the mundane world. We have the uh, above the water and below the water. We have above the cave and below the cave. So 
a lot of transition, a lot, our characters are going through these thresholds and, and, uh, entering these other worlds and other States constantly. I, I like the fact that, you know, Liz, Liz says earlier, doesn't she say earlier in this where she says, you know, Julia gave up. Uh, and so we see Liz fighting to survive, right? She's, she's using everything she's got and she just doesn't have it in the end. She actually needs community to save her. Right. Even though she's gotten as close as she could to the surface, but she just needed that extra help to to get out of that that situation. Liz Danvers, accept help. I know. Right. She had to die to be reborn. Mm. Right. Yeah. When overjoyed Liz Danvers talking in her deposition later. Well, you know, (laughs) jolly, half my staff died, but I'm here. Right. Man. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say this this idea that you know she had to break her past had she had to have a strong break from her past to be able to to get over the the pain uh, of the f- to accept the the fact that acknowledging her pain does nothing to diminish the love that she had. I guess mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm not sure how to to phrase this. That, you know, what her anger, all of this stuff here, that that doesn't, you know, her memories of her child are are hers and hers for uh, forever, right? And yeah. nothing can take that away except for time. I think so part of the, it was, you know, Navarro goes, he sees you and, mm. and does the gesture <laughs> that, of course, you know. God. Yeah, that was really chilling moving. and heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, but I think it breaks danvers because she's like she he sees me being this miserable curmudgeon (laughs) who everyone hates right that nobody wants to work with who is just being a horrible stepmother to leah and i think she's kind of inspired to do better from that she's like i have to i have to be the mom that i was to holden yeah yeah. i have to you know be kind like i was and happy like i was with other people besides, you know, my, my life isn't over and I need to be better. And that wouldn't, you know, yeah, being the, that bastard is not honoring the memory of her son, like you're saying, mm-hmm. right. It, 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 she wouldn't be that way with him. No. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Dark stuff. Out on the ice, after the storm has passed, Rose instructs Peter on the proper way to hide a body. Ennis style. <laughs> I I love the scene. You're going to watch me. <laughs> You're going to watch right. me cut your father's lungs open to let the air out so he doesn't float. And Peter's like, yeah, all right, I'll turn around. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And just delivered in such a deadpan, flat way. It was just She's like, really? great. <laughs> Absolutely great actor. Absolutely. Rose then tells Peter that the worst part isn't over, but what comes after forever, that's the worst effing part. You, you, you say effing, we are rated explicit, dude. That's the worst <laughs> fucking part. Uh, a title card tells us that it is now January 1st, the 15th day of the long night. Yeah, great. Great scene. Uh, the the mirror, the rhyming couplet, like you, you mentioned before, of of Peter and Hank, you know, and like that. That's just that was so good. So, I I like this idea too that 
you know, she's got to let the air out of his lungs. He's got to be dead. He's got to go down to Sedna, right? She's that's maybe an offering to Sedna. Um, but that life makes you float, you know, or not, sorry, breath makes you float. The air in his lungs is, is what's going to make you float. So that's going to bring you to the surface. Uh, just a lot of this, just this generic metaphoric stuff. The soup that we have here is, is uh, uh, just really great. Lots of fun little connectivity things. Right. right. Oh, uh, and, and one other uh, weird little one is it's also a mirror of Julia. You know, Julia went into the water, mm-hmm. um, but then she was cremated and her ashes were hot. But then they, they went back cold again and where Hank, Hank is just going into the cold. You know, he's uh, he doesn't get uh, anything. He gets a plastic bag and some duct tape, you know. He does, yeah. And his body was moved, right? His murder was covered up, just yeah, like, just like he did. Just like he covered up Annie Good K. Point. I really I liked about to right after she says, you know, what what's next is forever. Mm. And that sucks. Like that's when you get the new year. That's mm. yes. Good point. And Good it's point. a big transition. Is like I now have to just live with this. Yeah, it's a new year. It's a new me. I got to deal with this now. There are some things that can't be fixed and that we can only carry them right there are a lesson are some... that i'm trying to teach my daughter right now who keeps ripping <laughs> papers and then being like can you fix Sad. it and i'm like some things can't be fixed honey you can't break them right don't break them in the first and place she goes, let's just fix it don't don't murder yeah. your father yeah uh, i hope that she won't murder her father i really hope that yes <laughs> While sharing a New Year's drink and watching the Northern Lights, Danvers has an insight. Hodor, I mean Holden, I mean Blair of the Half Hand. <laughs> Sorry, I'm messing with you here. I, I see what you're doing here. Hold the yeah. door. Yeah. 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 And Holden, right? You know, the yep. little ghost, baby ghost. And then we have Blair <laughs> of the Half Hand, I thought, you know. I was like, okay, let's Yeah, let's, that was that was it. a good that was uh that was a good that was a good way to solve the mystery, I thought. Mm, right. And then we get the yeah, we get the the clue and then we go right back to the beginning. Those are like two of the first characters we met were Blair and B. Uh sorry, B and uh, Blair. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So mm-hmm. uh you know, good good mystery construction, right? Give us the the the, the doer of the deed up front and and see if we can work it backwards. So I'm honestly shocked that they even left Clark alone. I yeah. thought that they would have just said, okay, you wait here. You wait so, here with a gun for him to come out. So with the, uh, we didn't really talk about it, I guess. Um, with the reveal that he recorded a, a confessional on the phone, uh, you know, that video my assumption was that that was staged by Navarro. And then he said, you know, I'll let me, let me go out and freeze and, and meet my, my seven. She was like, okay, that's, that's a fitting, you know, that's justice. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's for me, what it was, was that, okay. That was put together by the both of them. All right. I buy that. I buy that now that you're, you're putting it together like that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Cause he didn't seem to, have suffered when he went out there in the certain, it wasn't like she, you know, he was sitting there in the way that he sat down, not the way that, you know, he got beat up and knocked out and dragged out there. You know, she was going to shoot him, you know? Right. Um, All right. Danvers and Navarro leave the station to go and question 
B and Blair, and we learned the final story about what happened that night. And of course, it's just a story, right? Right. Just a story. (laughs) I love that they roll up in a Salal truck, too. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's Uh really funny. Like, wait, (laughs) we we murdered those dudes. What's this truck doing here? (laughs) Yeah. and, And I also think part of it is... They them showing up in the Salal truck shows that they already know what happened. Basically, mm-hmm. they just need the details. Mm-hmm. But I really loved because at first I was like, okay, the culprit's just gonna reveal all the truths now. Like that's just gonna happen. I was like, mm-hmm. and and sure, you had Navarro sort of sweet talk her way in, say, here's my Anubiac name. Oh, it was my grandmother's. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like there was right. there was a transition, and but the fact that she was spilling all the beans. That right. was really surprising to me until the group of Anupiak women came in one by one uh, with their tea, basically. <laughs> like, it was straight out of The Sopranos, right? Yeah, it was like, yeah. if like you could try to arrest us, yeah, but you're not going to get very far with it. Uh, and I like the fact that in episode one, when Navarro goes into the crab factory... And she's like, ma'am, did you, did you hit this man, this guy? And she's like, asshole hit Blair. I hit asshole. So (laughs) we already know that she's, she's when confronted, she will tell the truth. Right. So she, you know, she's, she's kind of a straight shooter. She's not, she's not blowing smoke up anywhere. Right. She's just like, yeah, no, she hit him. I hit him back. So what? Yeah. And right. And it mirrors, well, they killed one of ours. We kill all them. Exactly. Well, we we give them to Sedna, and then Sedna. They killed them. I'm sorry. You you can't (laughs) absolve yourself of responsibility there. That's true. You know, if you if you throw somebody into the lion's den, you killed them. Right. Into the hungry lion's den. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but a a lot of those women were all in other scenes of the movie. The movie. The movie. The show of the season. Yeah, like um, the the hairdresser scene, right? Yeah, and the uh, yeah crematorium the, technician mm-hmm. and the woman who gave birth, and yeah, um, they were all all at various points. We we saw all of them, which was very cool from a mystery construction standpoint because we have all of these. I think one of them was at the um, uh, at the lighthouse facility as well. The real so. murderer was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Ennis killed him, right? Yeah. I love this whole sort of number one auntie's detective agency. You know, they're like taking pictures of the crime scene stuff and uh, good for them for, you know, working it out. So, yeah, I mean, again, like I think that Danvers and Navarro really did the right thing here, Mm. which is crazy to say that looking the other way on seven murders is the right thing. But, like, they really had it coming here. Yeah. Yeah. And this was the community fighting back, right? It wasn't yeah, even just yeah, about any case. Like, they learned that they were poisoning the water, too. And, like, mm-hmm. how many stillbirths does this community... Like, obviously, this was an illegal act. But really, like... Extrajudicial. Yeah. Who can fault them for being angry that their babies are dying while right. these people are living a fairly comfortable life? Right. And not drinking the same water that they are. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and for profit for the mine and for, for uh, science discovery, which is mm-hmm. going to, you know, I, I wouldn't trade it anyway. Right. 
you know? Yeah. It, 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 yeah, figure out another way to do it, right? Figure yeah. out another way to get this done. Anyway, uh, I did I did like the fact that uh, Navarro had to give her true name to enter the door. Mm-hmm. It was very Earthsea, very Ursula K. Le Guin, you know. <laughs> Uh, check out that yeah. series of podcasts in our in our podcast feed for that. But there's a yeah, the whole thing of you've got to be who you are to cross this threshold of of truth, you know, where where things are real and and we speak plainly and and it was and also sort of coded. Yeah, it was also Liz Danvers as Gandalf and uh, <laughs> or rather Liz Danvers as Frodo and <laughs> uh, Navarro as Gandalf. Frodo goes, "What's the Elvish word for friend? Melon." <laughs> <laughs> you Good. get through the door yeah, yeah i mean it was a really beautiful scene this was my favorite scene probably of the whole series was this whole thing of like we came together as a community and we mm-hmm. took justice into our own hands and they really nail what they're trying to say here and i think nail what isa lopez is trying to hammer it down which is you know they asked them why didn't you come to the cops and they said <laughs> why would we come to the cops right. you do nothing for us right like a the, cop moved Annie Kay's body. I mean, unbeknownst. Well, maybe beknownst to them. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't you know, know still. how much they knew by the end. But also, but still, it goes to the point of the institution is not their friend. Right. And they even it, Danvers knows that by the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm sure she told Navarro, too. But yeah. just that it was Hank who moved the body like there is no justice in this town via mm-hmm. the law. Mm-hmm. They may be able to handle petty crimes, but they cannot handle something this morally complex justice right yeah and our criminal justice system is so much very geared towards this low level stuff and not it's not great yeah. at at, yeah. at getting the high level stuff where where people have armies of lawyers and accountants and can you know move things around and erase people's backgrounds and hide right. in you know hide numbers inside of numbers um and obviously yeah, I mean, the truth kids patrick clearly knew what happened here there was no issue with going to prison even if Danvers arrested the uh, Anupiak women. Mm-hmm. There was no way Kilpatrick ever goes to prison for this. Maybe Hank does. Hank's a good fall guy for that. Right. But he's dead. So nobody's going to have justice in the end. Exactly. Do you think that from a mystery, murder mystery style show, that this was an effective reveal of the final mystery of the central mystery? Yes, I do. Okay. okay. I do. I think that that was the most effective thing the series did was build up to a good reveal at the end because I didn't predict it. The clues were there and it made sense at the end. And that's what you want out of a good mystery. Nice. Sounds and, like you got to make that. We got to formalize that into a test. And we stop making the test. We have too many. <laughs> uh, you're going to need a spreadsheet for the test soon. And we don't we don't I need, need a whole notion page of. tests. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One, two, three, four, five. We have five. All right. That's enough now. That's okay. enough. We have enough gauges here. But my point is. <laughs> It's not just that. It's somebody even commented on my comment from an earlier episode that I had forgotten already, which was, uh, you know, you can make a mystery, but you need me to care about the people the mystery affects. Oh, right? yeah. There's a there's a feedback about That's that. That's what I well. mean. Yeah, yeah. Somebody emailed about it. Yeah. And I had forgotten I even said that, but it's true. And here <laughs> I care about this community because I've learned about you know, Annie Kay being the only midwife in the area. And I've learned about the stillbirths happening and I've learned about, uh, you, you know, Salal and, and the police and how they're ineffective. And I do think that that was, and, and I want to shower praise on this part because I think that 
this really tied together the themes that Issa Lopez was going for. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I give her an A plus for this part. Okay. For the for the mystery portion of the show, I think she gets an A plus. I think for me, the effect of it was slightly dampened by the slog that we kind of had to go through with them being in Salal in the, you know, freezing to death in the Salal station. Sure, but that's a and pacing that, issue, right? Yeah. That's a pacing just, issue. That's a too, too many uh, things, too many yeah, things in front of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you're just going to take the bullet points of the mystery together, I think it's a great mystery and a great yeah. reveal. Okay. That's what, that's what I'm saying here. And I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring the bloat basically. Right. Got it. Okay, cool. All right. Last scene here. My least favorite scene of the whole series. We jump ahead to May 12th, the first long day of the year. And Danvers is being interviewed by a pair of detectives. So this is straight up, straight out of season one. This is the, the, the narrative construct of season one of the first two thirds first half of, of season one is that um, Woody Harrelson's character. And then uh, um, what's his name's character? Um, who's the actor? Uh, 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 that Matthew guy. McConaughey. Yes. Thank you. Matthew McConaughey are being separately interviewed by some detectives on videotape. So this is a complete construct out of that um, grafted on into here just for season one um giggles shits and giggles so boy did i hate this scene and i'll tell you why i'll tell you why it was the stilted dialogue that felt like it was just tacked on to this season Mm -hmm. i honestly could have had no update for later and been Mm -hmm. happier because is navarro dead at the end Right. Yeah. She a ghost, <laughs> an apparition on her. Uh... That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm sorry, but you're going to you're going to leave Navarro as ambiguously a ghost and uh-huh. she's in a deposition. You're going to tell me that she gets to go. Well, let's just say you're not going to find her out on the ice and they <laughs> don't say, can you elaborate? Mm-hmm. Because that's a very cryptic answer. And it sounds kind of like you killed her. Right. I absolutely hated the scene. And I, I will unabashedly say that. People can at me. I really <laughs> liked the episode. I really liked the season. I absolutely hated this scene. Mm. Not even like disliked a little bit, but I thought it was a sour taste in my mouth at the end. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And you stopped this episode five minutes earlier. This is like How I Met Your Mother finale. Do you know about this? No. All right, skip ahead two minutes if you don't want to be spoiled for the ending of How I Met Your Mother. Basically, we spent the whole series getting to know the mother, and everyone's happily ever after. They have this nice flash forward where you get to see how everybody's lives went, and then they were like, oh, but then the mother died six years ago of of mysterious illness, and you should go after the girl you chased in season one. Okay, so and just kind were of... just like, if you stopped short of that, it's a great ending. Mm-hmm. But because you went that extra length, you left me with such a bad taste in my mouth. Right, right. Now, I don't want to say it's that bad. It's not that bad because I still enjoy the series and I, I could see myself rewatching it in a couple of years once it fades from my memory a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just wish they didn't do the scene. I really wish they didn't do the scene. 
You didn't want the wrap up. I, I think if they if we just had a, a sequence of Navarro walking out, you know, into the in into not the shattered wasteland of her past, but you know, of sort of the white landscape of her, you know, future and of her people, and of Danvers picking up the bear and we getting the 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 mine video and the the mine being closed and Leah and Liz reconciled all and Peter at home, all of that stuff. I think if we just had a sequence of flashbacks, Mm -hmm. you did not need the deposition. It really felt like the most unnatural dialogue of the whole season. Got it. The, and, and don't give me the ambiguous Navarro ending with her standing on the porch. Even if you left it as we don't know where she went, I'm okay mm -hmm. with that. Like, okay, have her give her gifts to everybody and then disappear. Fine. Right. But like, why is she on Danvers porch? Yeah. Why is she on Danvers porch, but nobody knows where she is? Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre decision that I do not understand. And I'll be listening to the official podcast to find out if they ever address that, because that is a head scratcher for me. That's a yeah, that's a good that's a good call. Listening to the official to see what what Lopez has to say about it. Because I don't even know what they would be saying about that if she's a ghost. No. Yeah, I don't think she's a ghost. I think she's just she's out there like. Kung Fu, Kane walking the earth, you know, bringing justice. Well, to that's the, just to dramatic. The like you're going to go off the grid. Just just don't be a baby. Right. <laughs> don't be a baby, Navarro. Well, here's one thing that I do know, John, and what? that is SpongeBob is the Yellow King. So <laughs> to go, or, uh, uh, Kavik got his, his toothbrush back. So, you know, what's great, though, is there was a reason that we had the ridiculous SpongeBob toothbrush, which was now we knew that that was his toothbrush at the end. And he knew that too. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just a replacement of the same brand at CVS that we all get. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to wrapping up the season. Uh, well, we're going to have a special guest with us, uh, as well. We've got a, uh, a fun person to talk to. Uh, so tune in for that. Make sure you get it in the feedback to uh true detective at the lorehounds.com but uh should we get into some feedback now yeah let's do it but first let's take a quick break also i like the show don't tune out yet (laughs) and we're back if people want to send us feedback they can go to thelorehounds.com and head to the contact page where you can send a voicemail or a contact form entry. You could also send an email to truedetective at thelorehounds.com, tag us on Discord, whatever you want, but make sure that you do that right away so that we can get it in for the season wrap-up podcast. John, should we uh, alternate reading the emails? Sure. You want to start? Okay. Sure. So uh, new Lorehound Mel B sent in several emails and I sort of combined them all together. Um, another season one connection, season one, episode one, we see a kid draw a kid doing a drawing. I'm not going to say what this is because it's a spoiler if you, if you haven't seen season one and uh, they showed us the killer right away with the drawing. And then season four, episode one, we see a drawing of uh, Sedna by, by Darwin. Mm. So, uh, and then uh, Mel B says, dig into Sedna's story, heaps of connections. So yeah, uh, Sedna, it's, it's, I, I kind of like that they don't actually call it out in the show. 
and that if you want to go dig for the mystery and 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 read into the mythology, then it's fun. It's it's a bit more of a fun discovery, uh, allowing us to to make these connections ourselves rather than making them explicit uh, in in the mm-hmm. show. So I was good for that. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, so Mel sent in a picture of a reference, uh, from a frame, a screenshot from episode four. And I just want to give Mel really big props. Mel understood the assignment and started going (laughs) hunting for clues and sent me a clue with an answer, not just a, Hey, what do you make of this? But actually brought an answer back. So good job, Mel. There's a picture when, uh, Peter and Navarro come out of Tagak's, um, uh, cabin after he's fled, just as they're showing the scene, there's a there's a door and the door is covered with some plastic. And on the plastic, there's a some faint writing that looks like it had you know been worn away. And what it is is uh, apparently it's SWDP, which is a program for margin. It's the acronym for a program uh, for marginalized women and children that provides clean drinking water due to contamination in the area. So. Um, not only did Mel B spot that, but then they figured out what it was. So good job. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Mel continues. Um, what if see episode six is the opening credits? Is everything we have seen yet? Uh, yes, Mel. We sort of talked about this. Uh, Mel continues in the opening credits. Danvers falls through the ice. The same ice she and Navarro are peering through in the cover pick of the episode when you view it on Max. Also, the same vehicle pulled over on the snow-covered road is the one that Danvers drove to pick up Otis. Same as when Hank trailed her, presuming that uh, that's what we see her and Navarro left in to go to the ice tunnels. Same damn orange that Navarro and Leah saw rolling around, now just the peel. Also, the laundry line to adult size, three styles, chais. I don't know what to make of that just yet. And the graveyards with the whale bones, fossils in the ice tunnels, by which way I believe to be glaciers. Um, so a couple of things. Yeah, we had the oranges and we have the orange peel. We have uh, Danvers falling through the ice herself. So that's actually real. So mm-hmm. again, all like things. And it's not the laundry line. It's that that's Wheeler's house and the, the van is out there. So I think that's, oh, but there is a laundry line, isn't there? That doesn't, mm. um, yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm kind of trying to remember now. Um, and then let's see, Mel wraps it up. Um, right in front of our faces is Danvers Soldier's pat, shoulder patch. Uh, city of B something. I don't even know how to like it's cut off. The word city of starts with B, but it's cut right, off. But it's not Ennis. It's Ennis. It's city of Ennis. Pasted on it is APF, yeah, right? Right. And APF is the, I think what, what Lopez did was took her, maybe she took her experience of, of, um, how, uh, law enforcement, civilian law enforcement in Mexico is established, which is there's a national police force. And then you're sort of in these precincts. And and so if you're a cop, you're a cop anywhere. Whereas we are more, a city cop is a city cop and they only have jurisdiction within their city. Right. So there's no connectivity across it unless you're a federale or something like that. Uh, anyway, um, the polar bear staring down on the wolf with a big dipper, Orion, big bear in the sky. Damn it, Isa. I don't even know what it means, but it's something. So I think <laughs> Mel is having a lot of fun taking apart this show. Yeah. Uh, the trophy case in the police station is in way too many shots to be ignored. I, yeah, I don't know if there's anything there. I don't think that came to anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Pete's asking the wrong question. Did you and Navarro shoot Wheeler? Should have been, did you shoot Wheeler? Almost there. Clever Pete. Well, we learned the answer to that. And then the color teal, John. There's even teal in Danvers's shed. <laughs> mm. I'm gonna, just going to say the teal stuff meant nothing. It, <laughs> and I'm glad that I shut it down last episode. I think it's in this, it's sort of in the semiotic metaphorical realm. I think it has like, you have to go into color theory and, and the mysticism of the color teal. So, all right, Mel, thanks for uh, your email. Mysticism of the color teal. Did you just use those words at me? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I I hope, uh, well, Mel, definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts uh, and, and write in about more color teal in the episode. You know, know, um, there. I'm going to make another "How I Met Your Mother" reference, which is there's this whole running joke where whenever Ted, the main character, says something pretentious, his friends make fart noises. Uh And so, if you bring up Till again, I'm going to go. That's that's going to be my response. I love it. Uh, Al Chalant says tried to come up with an encompassing theory that explains the most details lines up and knocks down most of the pieces time to swing for the fences before it's all over or we get too many clues from episode five boy al you swung i read a little bit into this already (laughs) and it's a it's definitely something annie k falls through the ice impaled by dinosaur whale bones (laughs) already coming in hot (laughs) annie (laughs) I, I the all of the theories have been great. Like it's really been funny know, to sit where we're sitting and then like hear all the theories. But the whale and we would have been really making the me. same, right? We would have been doing the same. Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. That's yeah. a good one. Annie is patient zero for an ancient microorganism. <laughs> <laughs> Be nice to Al. I, no, I love Al's theory. I've loved. No, I me love too. I, it's it's fun. Would we have liked it better if it was this? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's cool. It's it's innovative. And he is patient zero for an ancient microorganism that the scientists are studying. The microorganism has side effects, insanity-haunting hallucinations. When Clark tells Lund about Annie's incident, accident, they retrieve the body and take her tongue to study the microorganism, dumping the body at the edge of the village. The haunting is from proximity slash length of time around who's infected. So, Navarro found her body the, and was infected. The, the tongue thing? I really did have background thoughts that the tongue was going to be involved in some scientific research with the, uh, you know, like, like Clark kept it and used the microorganism to like preserve her tongue as a last, you know, memento. Yeah. Of it did seem like well preserved, didn't it? Very well preserved. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen, Al Salant, we're, we're laughing because dinosaur whale bones made us, it tickled us, <laughs> but like, it's not a, it's not that far fetched with what the season has given us. Right. This whole thing. It's true. I just don't. Can I ask you though? I I hope you write it in again, Al. Where did you get dinosaur whale bones from? That's such a specific thing. What do you mean? That's what uh, Bryce said. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talked oh, about okay. it. Okay. You're we right. You're right. It. You're right. You're right. Okay. All right. It's more plausible now. So Navarro found the, her body and was infected. Navarro's closest kin, Jules, get gets affected infected and slowly goes crazy and suicides after moving to Alaska. Navarro's former partner, Liz has to use a white noise machine to to suppress the spookies. And they are starting to come back after they start working together again. 
Navarro has been dealing with the infection slash haunting for years. Annie infected Clark. His associate Heist is also insane. Clark locks himself in his room at Salal and is segregated from the rest of the scientists most of the time until the first night, you know, the first day of night when they all disappear. <laughs> huh. Big um, swing. I could poke some holes on this one. I mean, why did Navarro's mother have the same mental illness as Jules? There's uh there's some holes in this, but it's a fun theory nonetheless. <laughs> I like that. I like the swing though. I, I like feedback swing. like this. It's a lot of yeah, fun. It is. Fun. Thanks, Al Shalon. I hope Thanks, you're right next week. I, I want to hear what you thought of the season. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. M Wolf by email says, gentlemen. Until episode five. I like that. Starting with gentlemen. Gentlemen. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I stand at attention. Right? Uh, croissant. Um, <laughs> oh, it's getting late. <laughs> Until episode five, I was swooning over the brilliance of an intense final battle in the mines. Like the descent, all claustrophobic and dark. What better setting could you dream up? Just imagine all that built in palpable tension. Even as tough as Navarro is. I bet you could sharpen a pencil in her keister. <laughs> <laughs> now, however, it appears it will happen in the ice caves instead. A mine is a terrible thing to waste. But and they call oh, it a mine. Oh, you know what? It's funny. Zencast, or the platform we use, usually stocks the uh, sound. Oh, right. <laughs> but I delete it because delete otherwise I accidentally click it. And uh, I wish I didn't delete it now. That would have been fun there. Speaking of loving the show... True Detective Season 4, despite its flaws, is a page-turner. It bur- it bums me that Issa Lopez is getting trolled. Agreed. Agreed. I think yeah. overall the season was very good. Season it's getting, good. Uh, I think, what was it, like Episode 4, Episode 5 is like set, had broken some new record and the season overall has eclipsed Season 1. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, strong numbers. And I don't doubt the fact that Jodie Foster... It, people are talking about, oh, yeah, Jodie Foster is in this detective mystery thing that's pretty good. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so people are checking it out because Jodie Foster on well, television. Yeah, you know, you know? I, I was telling my wife about the show and she's like, oh, Jodie Foster's in it? Yeah. Like, like people light up to that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it's there, there's no there are no critical flaws in these. A lot of what we're talking about are, are nitpicks or little disjointed things. But functionally, the show is not there's no. There's nothing that's not, you know what I'm saying? There's no critical flaws in it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think, I think overall a very successful season. It had, it had its issues as I pointed out with my hatred of the last scene, but I think overall it was a very good show that I would recommend to people even now seeing it start to finish. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a watch. It's a green light. You should watch this. Anyway, uh, continues. I'm sure you guys are the only people that have heard more harebrained theories than I have. <laughs> see, see previous po- feedback <laughs> above. <laughs> and I stopped trying to figure it out when Annie Kay was in the caves filming herself. Sigh, millennials. No, no, no. No, no, no. Shut that down. That's straight Zoomer behavior. That's straight Zoomer behavior. I'm not taking responsibility for that. <laughs> Okay, next up, our dear friend Kim M. by email. Hi, David and John. Wow, I am wholeheartedly invested in these characters at this point, especially Navarro and Danvers. Phenomenal performances by Foster and Reese. Actually, all of the performances are amazing. Agreed, Kim. I have been really just 
and it, it seems like they pulled in a bunch of community members and some other, you know, uh, you know, actors who are not, you know, big, big names or whatever for all these different community parts and stuff. And they, uh, there's not a bad performance in the entire show from top to bottom. So good stuff. Right. Kim continues. I have zero sympathy, sympathy for Hank. I think he would have tried to kill Danvers regardless of how it went down. He has a lot in common with Roy Tillman from Fargo, just a different version of toxic masculinity mixed with violent tendencies. These violent tendencies have, what is that line? Violent delights have violent ends. But I actually, I kind of disagree with that. I think that Hank is not inherently violent. I think he's really pathetic and, and Mm. you know, toxically masculine, but it's, it's prideful, but I don't think he has an inherent violent streak. He even fights back. Like, I don't want to kill somebody. I don't do that. That's not part of my thing. I'm corrupt, but I'm not a murderer. Yeah, he, yeah, that was, he, he kind of got pushed into, into, uh, and he didn't know how to handle, I, I think he didn't kind of not know how to handle after he shot Heist. He kind of shot right. him out of reflex. Right. Um, what would he, that's a really interesting question. Like, what was going to go down if, if Peter hadn't been there? Like, how would that have all worked out? He would have. Oh, he would killed. have killed Danvers for sure. Yeah, and then for had sure. to stage, uh, stage the reverse of what they did to him. Right, exactly. A like a similar situation, right? Yeah. Well, she had him at at her house shooting up heroin. She got really <laughs> mad. He was, he was shooting heroin and uh, right, lost it. But the bullet ricocheted. <laughs> All right. The uh, Kim continues. I like that most of their living and working spaces seem highly cluttered with stacks of food, water, supplies, and papers everywhere. There isn't an empty shelf or corner in sight. Do they do that because they have to keep more supplies on hand due to their location and weather? Do they have smaller houses in general, so not much storage space? Or is it more a culture, cultural and more indicative of small northern fishing villages? It is, yes. You stock up. You uh, don't have a lot of space. Um, the construction styles are from the lower 48s grafted into uh, into other places. And so, yeah, you just uh, – that's the way it ends up. And I think it's an absolutely spot-on detail hmm. that the production team of the show created that that feeling. So you, you really feel like you're in, in, uh, in this kind of um, – yeah. Uh, situation on the edge of civilization makes sense to me that's why he needs a spongebob toothbrush you can't just hi- <laughs> hop right down to the corner store that's right and buy it anytime he wants clutter and messy houses are omnipresent in all of our lives and though it may seem trivial aspect to their lives i believe it adds a depth to the story overall and makes the characters more relatable it also makes me pause a lot and look at this at, at all the stuff. It feels voyeuristic, like I'm secretly going through their things. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good good point. There's we do a really uh, feel. Yeah, there's a gaming executive named Phil Phil Spencer. He works for Xbox. He's the head of Xbox, and there's a whole thing where people discovered months later that like they products like consoles and games that are going to be announced are on his shelf when he does an interview. No, oh, nice. Behind him. Yeah. And so people constantly scour like that, like they're watching a, a true detective. Right. And I always think about that with stuff like this. Uh, Kim wraps up. I still think it was Navarro that shot Wheeler. Bing, 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 bing. You win some internet points. Good or did job. she go cat- 
Tonic because she uh, saw a ghost causing Wheeler to lunge for her gun and Danvers had to shoot him. But then why would they need to cover up? We know that they're both capable of covering up a crime scene and now, so it's prior. I'm on the edge of my seat waiting for the finale. Love the coverage as always, Kim M. Kim, we love your feedback. So I hope to, we hope to hear from you for the season wrap up, but uh, yeah, quite the, quite the situation there with the ghost and Wheeler. Yeah. Uh, thanks for writing in Kim. Really, really, of course, enjoy your feedback and hope we'll see you on the season finale, the season wrap. Aloisha, I think that's how I say this, uh, wrote in and said, who, oh, by the way, has been catching up on our Wheel of Time coverage. Apparently uh, found out that we did the Wheel of Time, found us through True Detective and uh, went back to the Wheel of Time. So if you didn't know that, if you're here on True Detective, we cover a lot of other stuff. You can go back in our backlog. I think we have like 200 episodes. I, I love that. <laughs> so like uh, they're in my in my inbox. It was just like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah. been going back and, and commenting <laughs> on stuff. So yeah, uh, looking yeah. forward when when we go to season three for that show. Yeah, but Aloysia had a lot to say about. Oh. Uh, I was going to say to Aloysia, come on the Discord because the there's a, a Wheel of Time channel there, and you can um, the emails. You know, we may not respond to those emails because we're constantly running to stay up to coverage. So. In, I invite you to the Discord. Come on to the Wheel of Time channel. There are people there who will love to chat with you further about some of your the stuff that you had in your emails. So it's pretty active because we've indoctrinated. Alicia and I indoctrinated people to read the books, mm-hmm. and it's been effective. People are really into them now. People Very are cool. like somebody just started. I think Nancy M just started book eleven. Oh wow! And uh, cool. yeah, she's moving through. So people are people are going for it. Cool. All right, on True Detective. I loved the episode. I was relieved that they took a step back on the supernatural. About time they started to unravel the human evil and PTSD of Navarro. I like this take because we were not hot on the, you know, the lack of supernatural in episode five. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that some people enjoyed it at least. Yeah. Uh, Navarro lost her sister and her PTSD got triggered. And in this episode, when Liz asked, do you want to talk about it? And Navarro said, no, Danvers was clearly relieved. I heard, yep. And we never talked about Navarro's Christmas tree trigger the night her sister died. Yeah. So they just yeah. just moved past it. Yep. Second email here. This show has some homage to season one, but it's its own thing. The spiral is one of five universal symbols. Every culture uses it. I think it was always a simple homage and a red herring. I think you're right. I think you're right after this episode. Yeah. And we know that the spiral, this spiral is spins opposite from the spiral of season one. Mm-hmm. So this one's inverted. Yeah. Uh, this The Travis and Russ Cole might still come back because, uh, since Pete is going to Rose, but it won't be an obvious connection. That may be the only supernatural or spiritual thing left unexplained. Oh, that's, that's pretty unexplained. Uh, I agree that Hank's speech about the time Pete fell through the ice sounded contrived, but that scene wasn't about him. It was about Pete's shock and grown-up realization that his father went through that. Yeah, you know, I got to say, now that we saw the way they used it eventually, I'm glad that they had that scene. I think they could have delivered it a little better, but Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe even like had Pete tell the story to Rose. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. 
Pete, the adult who has a son, realized the story isn't some random story about an Alaskan kid who went under the ice. It was a different story. It was about a father's terror about almost losing his son. Pete goes from that to the next realization that his dad broke into his computer to steal evidence about Liz. This man is corrupt. Yep. I think, too, I like the fact that Hank wasn't... um... Uh, a flat character. He was deme- he had dimensionality. He loved his son. He missed his son. He's got a lot of regrets at his, in, in his life. Um, and, and I think they told Hank, I think they told a really good story around Hank. Agreed. And, and, and I think that that ice falling through story definitely added to that, you know, an extra dimensionality to his story. You can be both an asshole and a tragic character. Mm-hmm. I think that both things can be true. One thing you missed, I think, Danvers says to Connolly, what happened to you? A woman is dead. This was Mm. right after talking about Wheeler. So here is this small, now powerless woman. Look at the camera work here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saying to her good friend, a woman is dead. Which Mm -hmm. woman? Wheeler's wife, Annie, both, all the dead women. Mm -hmm. I found that moment sad and very moving. That friendship is dead. And that's what their sex scene gave us, their friendship. This was <laughs> the moment it was set up for. Uh, you just reminded me of a line from the Grand Budapest Hotel. I go to bed with all my friends. It's like, <laughs> it's, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with you there, Aloysia. I don't I don't think we needed the sex scene to establish a friendship. <laughs> I'm going to push back on that. Um, also, as a woman who has had a teen daughter, when Leah said, I haven't given up on you, it really resonated. You spend all your time focused on this wacky human you're trying to understand, and suddenly they turn the tables on you. Huh. And so that's, I'm glad that that worked for you. Yeah, I think this, I, I read this before uh, watching episode six, and so when Leah is trying to reach out to Liz, it, 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 th- this helped me understand that, that this is Leah growing up. This is Leah mm. stepping into her adulthood. She's no longer a teenager. And when you as a parent can allow your child to care for you, not just in the sense of like, Oh, um, you know, take me to the nursing home or something, but you know, we should, we put a lot of love on our kids, but when our kids can put love back on us, Mm -hmm. that gives them the opportunity to grow. It gives them the opportunity to have agency. It gives them the opportunity to see how they can make a change in the world. And we get to be the first ones they get to practice that on. And so for Leah to take that moment of, oh, no, you need love. You need to stop trying to parent me and you need to like let me love you. Let people around you yeah. love you. That I think that's a, a really important point of Leah's development, her arc as Definitely. well. So I loved Foster's body language as she went speechless. Say what? <laughs> Father and son, mother and daughter. Lots of family stuff in this season. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for writing in, Aloysia. It was a really uh, lovely set of emails. And we'll chat about the Wheel of Time if you hop on the Discord. I think Absolutely. that's the best venue for it at this point between the seasons. Season wrap-up, too. Yeah. Well, we're gonna. I think we're going to get a lot of feedback from, from Episode 6. I think people are going to have feelings. Uh, <laughs> I think so, this. too. Don't we all? <laughs> Somebody's going to at me. You know, maybe my I'm the controversial one for saying how Ooh. much I hated the last scene. You think that's it? That's going <laughs> to get all the, all the feedback? I hope so. 
that would be fun. All right, Alicia E sent in an email. Hello, hello, Alicia. Uh, Alicia, I, I think is the right way. I found your podcast at the beginning of the True Detective Night Country and have really enjoyed listening to your episodes and your thoughts on your show. Well, thank you. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I'm currently listening to your most recent episode uh, or recent podcast episode five with a few thoughts and info that might help about the cold open cremation scene. It's been six to seven days since Julia died. She died late Christmas Eve, early Christmas morning. It's hard to tell since it's dark the entire time. Yes, I think that's the point right. of the the night right. setting, which is is a perfect uh, perfect uh, device for the for this epi- for the season. Episode four ended on twelve twenty five, and episode five began on twelve thirty one. Right, six to seven days is a very normal amount of time between someone dying and being cremated. I thought that the cold opening was beautifully done and was very accurate. I know from personal experience when my dad died several years ago and we had him cremated. After the cremation itself, the bones cool down before they go into the cremulator, where the bones are ground into ash. The ashes may be hot right afterwards when put into the urn due to the friction it takes for the bones to become ash. Navarro got to see the after part, removing the bones, grinding them, etc., which usually doesn't happen. Family members can be present for the beginning of the cremation. Once the furnace starts, it can take up to three hours, depending on the size of the body, and the rest of the process is usually done away from family and friends. A fantastic resource about this is Ask a Mortician, Caitlin Doherty on YouTube. It was a hard to watch the scene, but also very calming and beautiful having gone through it myself, if that makes sense. Anyway, I hope this information answers some of the questions you had. Thanks for your fantastic podcast. And she provides a, a YouTube link to um, this video, which I most, I most, I watched most of it. Uh, I was a little bit busy oh. the other day, but I, I, I tried to sort of scrub through it. It's really interesting and, and very well presented and broken down and and uh, Caitlin uh, Doughty uh, explains very well the science and the physics behind what happens. And it's fascinating. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a process. That, yeah. I will say that. I don't so, want to see it. Okay. <laughs> I just don't want to see it. <laughs> I'm not going to watch the video, but I appreciate the info. And I love this This whole season has been talking about life and death and, and transitions. And so to ha- – I, I was really – it was a bit of a head scratcher for me when I first saw it, but I think in the totality, it, it, it's a really beautiful scene. And it, I think it, it, it just adds a lot to this conversation about life and death uh, that the whole show is dealing with. Yeah, I think so too. Well, thanks for writing in. Matt E's going to close us out now. Matt E says, great coverage of true detective. I'm a bit behind binging one episode and one podcast a day. I mean, that, that's a solid binge. I mean, especially with there our podcast lengths, we're over two hours already. Uh, one thing I think John in particular has missed, at least for episode two, is what true detective seasons are about. In a way, like Liz says, ask the right question. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm missing the questions. Uh, season one was memori- mesmerizing, not because of the case or Sherlockian reveal, but as the seasons progress, you learn to deeply understand the psyche personality of the detectives. Yeah. Season one, the case was pretty lame, but the season was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The personal takes on religion, marriage, personal conflicts, mortality, who can set aside betrayals, etc. So in season four, I honestly couldn't care less about the mind and the magic bacteria. In my <laughs> opinion, well, the magic bacteria didn't go much. Well, it did. It did factor in. 
In my opinion, the show is about the characters, period. Totally agree. So Danvers' sex scene is about the plot. Why is ever everyone I knew I maybe I should mention a sex scene here. I hate sex scenes. Yeah, everybody write in now. John's uh, a monster. Yeah, I'm I'm a monster who hates sex scenes. Well, I, again, I don't hate all sex scenes. I hate pointless. <laughs> you just you better just move on with the feedback. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, it's not about moving the plot. It's about Danvers. Awkward moments between Danvers and her daughter are partially plot, but mostly just development. Very opposite of the Last of Us episode one, father daughter interactions. In my opinion, The Last of Us wasn't a great monster show, but it was a great show. True Detective isn't the best mystery or crime show, but by the end, you'll know Danvers better than you know Darth Vader or Frodo, and she's a great character. Don't tell me I don't know Frodo well. Let me tell you that much. Uh, Season one uh, was a goat well worth the watch. All right. That's that's. That's fun. And, and I, think I, I goes, agree with you, actually. It's about the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what that's what True Detective is, is it's about the characters with, you know, this wrapper of metaphysics and ontology and supernatural stuff where that's it's a schmear, right? It's just a schmear of that stuff. And one it's schmear. It, one schmear. And it it serves to create the context for the development of our characters for them to move mm. through these spaces and, and, and to discover things about themselves and, and mm. to, and, and, and the, the resolution of the mystery is the resolution for the character, right? It's right. they're intertwined right. with each other. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because Matt then got to the episode where I started to come around on the season <laughs> and said, LOL tonight, episode three podcastery. And John says, I don't care about the mystery unless I care about who it's affecting. And now I care about the characters involved. Exactly, Matt. <laughs> it's funny. We got there. We we met in the middle, Matt. And yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you stuck with us, even though you disagreed with me at first. Well, thanks, Matt, for writing in. Thanks, uh, Alicia E. and Eloisa and Kim M. and um, M. Wolf and Al Chalant. Mel? And, hmm? And Mel? And Mel and Mel B. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hope to hear from you all and many more for the season wrap-up. Um, there's a lot packed in there. So, And we've got a fun guest who's going to be joining us. I think it's going to be a great conversation and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I am, like I said, John at the top, I'm, I, I, I feel very relieved now that we've done our last episode breakdown podcast <laughs> for the show, yeah, even though I've had a fun, great right? time. It's a lot, it's just been a lot of work, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a big effort, uh, but it's been a fun effort. And, and I'm, I'm really, I really hope that HBO can, figure out to, you know, what shows to put on in sort of January, February timeframe, because I, I, I love starting off with a, a real it's gonna be the chunky last mystery. 2025, I think. Ooh, I hope so. Oh, I, I hope think so. so. I yeah. think so. That would All be, right. That would be great. Let's close this thing out. This yes. is often the last time people tune in to a big show. If you're here just for the big show, uh, the, the last episode, I will encourage everyone to come back for the season wrap up. I think we'll have different takes. Uh, we'll have a lot of feedback from people and possibly you, listener. I've, I've got thoughts. I've got a lot of deep thoughts, too. Yeah, we're going to go into more broad themes of the season, Topical. I think, on the, yeah. Yeah, on the season wrap. So that'll be a lot of fun. Of course, you can always get all of our podcasts ad-free and early on Patreon. Again, like David said, you can join us. You get a lot of good content. We had our second breakfast where we did a whole debate over what we would not debate, but you know, a sharing conversation about uh, what we would have for our last breakfast ever. If we could choose it. 
And that was a lot of fun. It was we talked for like 45 minutes about it before we even <laughs> hopped on to another topic. Talk about fun. like other shows we're watching, you know, games we're playing, books we're reading. Uh, take listener feedback. We talk about a random movie every month, the old man movies, uh, and then my series of movies that has no name. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I go through the letters of J.R. Tolkien with my Shireside chats, and uh, we have a good we have a good community. Well, and the, and the thing is too that it's um it's it's about the community that we're creating. You know, it's about the yeah. recommendations that you get from the people on the Discord or or in a f- feedback email or something like that. We're not we're intensely human here. We're not algorithmically driven uh, in a way, and so um, subscriptions help us actually build the space for this community. And so, if you love to nerd out on books and TV and and movies, then you know consider supporting that. It's a good time we have here. Cool. All right. Programming notes, things yes. that are coming next. Let's tell them what they can stick around for. What is, what can they stick around for? <laughs> well, so, I, I think we have things coming. We, got, we have we things got coming. I'm so blinded right now. Keeping with, going. We're going through yeah. the Silmarillion chapter by chapter. Uh, we just released Final Fantasy VII on the Lorehounds Play. I think next month we're going to do Halo. And Brandon and I are actually going to be talking about the Halo TV series at some point, too. So that should be a Excellent. lot of fun. Yeah. We've got Star Wars movies coming up that we're going to talk about. We're talking about A New Hope next. You could already catch our coverage on the first like eight movies. That's our Star Wars film festival. We're watching them all in order. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're reading the Earthsea book by Ursula K. Le Guin. The book. We're going to be reading Mm -hmm. actually the, uh, what is it? The fifth book. Um, Yep. Yep. The Other Wind. So we're going to record that next week with Marilyn. So that'll be out in, in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Brandon and I are going to do Masters of the Air once that show is over. Uh, I'm hoping we're going to get some Mr. and Smith, Mr. and Mrs. Smith coverage in as well. I know. I got to fit it in with all the other stuff I got to watch. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so, yeah. And and by the way, if you're just here for like the big week by week coverage, which I, I get that I've been there with podcasts, we yeah. will be doing things like House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, The Boys, The Acolyte, Severance. We'll do with Anthony yep. and Steve, our affiliates, once that comes out. Got plenty of good stuff coming this year. So. Keep an eye on our feed, even if you're you're not with us on the little stuff. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. Anything about our affiliates? They're they're both on hiatus right now, but they'll be back. Yeah. Our um, movie review and uh, Alicia's it, will shift dust. She's going to be doing three body problem, as far as I know, and Dune. And Dune is rolling forward, so uh, hopefully she'll have some some fresh coverage on that. And then Alicia and I are working on some uh, uh, Oscars stuff. We've, cool. we've got some some things in the works for that. So. Well, every episode, we give a quick thank you to all our Patreon lore masters. They're top tier. They get a shout out as part of their benefits. David, hit me with the list. Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Doove 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye, Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls? <laughs> and the last shall be first, Adrian. All right, everyone. Thanks again for being with us on this journey. We'll be back next week for the season wrap. Until then, may the long night be kind to you. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. 
get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.